The following podcast may contain content that is not suitable for all ages or sensitive ears. Please be responsible. Thank you, and donkey. Hello, Save Them family. Landon here. Welcome to this episode of the Save Them podcast. And today we're going to touch on a topic that uh, kind of didn't make the initial cut in the uh, the 10-part series on mission scope for Save Them. Um because, you know, we can't talk about every single thing we've ever done, right? I was, I was trying to focus the mission scope at least on those 10 primary categories. Um, but there's just been an, an overwhelming upsurge uh, in a, another specific area. And we've had several cases come through, um, four that we've been working. Um, and one in particular uh, that has gone public um, just as of last Friday, um, and I want to go ahead and highlight this topic now, and it's it's the issue of state-sponsored or state-sanctioned trafficking of children. And the, the summary point on how this works is that uh, powerful people, elites, um, networks of individuals who have control of government systems, they use the legal system, which no longer becomes a justice system, but it's just a legal system, they use the legal system to their own ends. And one of the most common ways that this is done is in the state-sanctioned, effectively, kidnapping of children. And the all four cases uh, that we're working on this have a similar profile and what it is, is it's a, a fairly powerful male individual who is tied into certain networks. Uh, every case is different, um, but based on the work that we do, all the cases overlap in that these networks of power are tied in to the occult and tied into Freemason networks, etc., etc. And one of the modus operandi, the MOs of these networks is that they have people in levels of power and control such that they can manipulate the legal system to the benefit of their network. It's a very simple thing. Uh, You can also extend this out to things like mafia groups, organized crime. You you can kind of understand how that that goes. Um, And in fact, when we first started Save Them, it was at the, the request of people on the ground in South Africa that said, we need your help because the Nigerian crime syndicates basically own the police stations in South Africa in this one area. And the police were then turning a blind eye to the fact that children were being stolen off the streets of a town in South Africa. So that's where Save Them began uh, with that simple story. Um, that is corruption and uh, kind of a geographical control kind of deal. But what we're talking about in this podcast is a, a different slice of that pie, and it's the state-sanctioned trafficking of children where the state is saying, okay, we're going to act on the behalf of our handlers, and our handlers are powerful people uh, within our society. This kind of thing has been going on forever, so this is not a new thing, but it is 
fairly new in the United States, um, in South Africa, where it has risen to the level of people being aware that it's happening. And so we want to, to highlight this case. So um, we're going to use a U.S. case on this. Um, it, it is a case that we've been working. It does involve Hollywood and uh, the underbelly of Hollywood and its ability to control the geographies and the politicians and the court systems, the authorities in the areas where Hollywood has its reign. And in that, those who are part of that system are able to effectively uh, traffic children. And that trafficking takes different forms. In the case we're highlighting today, uh, it's, a, it's a very, very, I guess we'll just say evil individual um, who is abusive um, physically and sexually to his wife and their children and has been able to use that system to his advantage to effectively steal the children from her and then turn the state against her. So uh, things like issuing warrants for arrest that are not grounded in actual law. But when you control the legal system and you're not interested in justice, then the law itself is secondary. So what happens is judges, magistrates, all of this, and authorities, um, law enforcement, they just kind of do whatever they want. They operate outside of their sanctioned protocols and when, when they control every level of accountability within that society or within that decision-making structure, then nobody holds them accountable because they're all on the same team. They can pretty much do what they want. And by, by dispelling or, or by issuing, dispelling, by issuing uh, myths into society that these kinds of things don't exist, then what happens is that it keeps the population docile. It keeps them from waking up and demanding accountability for such things. And what ends up happening is that those who are affected by this abuse of power, they end up um, just being kind of kicked to the side of society and they disappear in obscurity. And then um, the powerful retain whatever they want and the children that get abused along the way end up being pulled into the system uh, that stole them to begin with. And that is the cycle that we're trying to break here. So I want to play, uh, there was an interview done on the Hagman Report um, with a lady named Afia. And uh, we have helped with this case um, because it's been spearheaded by Shatter Ops. And we know the Shatter Ops team. We have helped where we can. Uh, we have gotten to, to know uh, the different um, aspects of the case. And we have seen a lot of growth in Afia and her courage. Um, and, you know, we, we know that when, when this all kind of started, that she was, she, she was a broken lady who could barely kind of wake up in the morning, you know, just kind of her world was spinning. Like, how can this be happening? Uh, this is so unjust to what you'll hear in the, the interview today 
is a lady who's finally said enough is enough and she's willing to go to to war uh, for her children. And that's the heart of a mother, uh, rightly applied. And so we definitely stand in support of that. There are so many things in this case that are bizarre and just absolutely inexcusable. And uh, that that's in the state of California. It's in the state of Georgia. Uh, there are so many things that have gone wrong here. And the innocent, those who have followed the letter of the law and had done things appropriately, have been turned into the bad guys. So this whole thing is turned upside down. And that in and of itself should tell you what's going on. That in and of itself should tell you who is behind what's happening here. Because he's the father of lies. And they are the children of their father. And when they operate as their father does, then they operate in lies and they turn everything upside down. So that in and of itself should be crystal clear to you. Um, something that Afia doesn't really talk about in the interview, but it's it's the background of her her in-laws and that family. And there's some pretty dark stuff there. Um, yeah, she does mention that her, her ex-husband was abused by his parents, etc., but she didn't really go into it, and I'm not going to go too deep into it, but let's just say it's a dark, dark world. And um, and these are the people who are put in power to make these Hollywood movies, and it should not be surprising when dark themes and anti-biblical positions are taken in Hollywood, since these are the people who are running the show. Very, very, very disturbing topic. Uh, so, here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to kick you over to the interview. Um, it's an hour and a half long, so I want to get going. Um, if you can listen to the whole thing, I really beg you to listen to the whole thing. It is very important topic. And folks, I'm telling you, I have three other cases that are almost exactly the same as this. This is happening everywhere and it's happening across state borders. It's happening all over the U S it's happening in South Africa, in different parts of the country. And they're using, they have undone the justice system to abuse the legal system. And we have to protect the widows and orphans. We are the church. We have to protect the widows and orphans, which is effectively what we're dealing with here. We have to stand in the gap. We have to go after the system. And Christ reigns supreme. And the Lord will issue his wrath and judgment on these broken systems that are serving Satan. No doubt about it. But if we don't do something, if we don't shout from the hilltops that this is happening, then nobody knows. And what we do know for certain is that darkness only thrives in the darkness. So when we shine light on that darkness, the, the enemy is undone. They're undone and they're unable to operate. They're unable to be employed. They're unable to function. They're unable to steal ch children. And we have got to protect these kids. Uh, this is happening all over the place, and we have to stand up for this. There are so many people who have come out just on the heels of this interview with Afia on Friday. I mean, it's, it's, this is only a few days later, who are just saying, this happened to me, this happened to me, this happened to me, this happened to my friend, this happened in our community, this happened in our state, this happened in our region. Folks, this is a big deal, and it is one of the most untalked about things going on, but it's happening. So let's get rid of the veil in front of our eyes. Let's see clearly and let's tell others about it so that they know that when they see these things happening, they understand 
what is going on. When they see a lovely young lady who is obviously their instincts tell them is just a God-fearing woman and suddenly she has these warrants out for her arrest or these bizarre trumped up Amber alerts that she's kidnapped her kids and you're like, what? That doesn't make sense. Well, the reason it doesn't make sense is because it's not true. Hmm. But the truth will set us free and that's what we have to pursue and support those who are being attacked by the system. Okay. I'm going to hand you over to the interview. Thank you so much for taking the time to understand the topic of state-sanctioned child trafficking. All right, this is Landon, and I'm out. Cheers. Coming to you from the HagmanReport.com studio, located in the Keystone State, birthplace of a mighty nation, it's your host, Doug Hagman. Welcome, folks, to this very special edition of the Hagman Report. I've got a very, 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 just a a special but intense show for you lined up. Uh, I've got two guests with me. Uh, Luke from ShatterOps.org. And you know ShatterOps and you know Luke. Luke's been in studio. We have worked with ShatterOps. I'd like to think that we are part of Shatter Ops, at least uh, at, at the periphery, in, you know, because now you recall, folks, that uh, Russ Dizdar had, um, uh, of course, the organization that Shatter Ops became. Okay, so this is a tribute, I, I suspect, or I, su- I suppose, to Russ Dizdar, the, the late, great Russ Dizdar and his wife. Um in the investigative side of uh, child and human sex trafficking, shatterops.org. That's the website that that is represented today by Luke. And of course, folks, bookmark that website, go there and read about what they're doing. They're extremely busy and um, uh, help them out, donate generously. And again, I like to think that we're part of that network, and that we've we've done we, we've done quite a bit together. And, and folks, we, you know the stories, right? That uh, that we've been able to tell. And uh, of course, when Russ was in the studio, and on, and um, uh, just marvelous, marvelous group of men and women that comprise ShatterOps.org. Well, now having said that, I've I've got another very special guest. Um. And I struggled throughout, before the, today's program, I struggled with this to really um, struggle with the introduction. How do you introduce somebody who is the victim of, of abuse, the advocate for the abused, and somebody who's been run through, put through the mill, like you can't believe, I mean, the legal mill, the uh, psychological abuse, the physical abuse, the children, her children. Uh, how do you even, how do you introduce someone like that? And I mean, I'm, I'm talking from the heart now um, because I read the website. She's the subject of a website titled Psalm 91 
the, the number 91, Psalm 91, protection.com. I'm sorry. Yeah, I uh, have my dot coms and nets and orgs confused, but don't be confused. Psalm 91, protection.com. And uh, with, with Luke and myself is a fine lady by the name of Apvia. And folks, I would like you to do this. I would like you to go to hagmanpi.com, go to our, our, our website, or go to today's broadcast at hagmanpi.com, open up the description box, and there will be a link to that website. That There will be a link there. And that website is all about Apvia, my guest. Uh, I'm going to call her by her first name, Apvia. And um, everything that she's been through, all right. I don't want to drag this introduction out, but I want I want you to know who is who is here, the players, the people involved, the abused. Um, and when you go to that website, by the way, which you saw on your screen, you're also going to see some extremely I don't want to say graphic or triggering because they're not what's graphic or triggering has not been put up there but you're you're going to see not just the abused but the abusers the abusers of the system we talk about this all the time and if you want to know how to help get behind this endeavor and i say it's an endeavor this is more of an informational website but get behind and support the victim, this victim, Apvia, for the sake of her children and for the sake of, of, of the system itself that was once was a system, perhaps. I don't know if I did that right. Luke, come on board and tell me if I did any service to what's going on here. No, hey, sir, man, we appreciate you and Eric, as always, uh, all the things that we've partnered in over the years and the investigation and the cases that you guys have been a absolutely tremendous help on as always we wouldn't be where where we are today with without you guys so we uh, we appreciate you a ton um we know you're there just to stand for truth um and expose what's going on man we can uh we can always say for sure that uh you you've got the victims back and you're willing to uh to to speak truth, right? And we appreciate you so much. You know, when I, well, thank you. And when I, when I was reading through this, um, this website and folks, again, Psalm, the number 91, Psalm 91 protection.com. When you, when you read through this website and, and you think about just the horror experienced by, by the children, and you might, you might be sitting back there saying, well, that's just one case, big deal. It reminds me of that story of a of a young child walking along the seashore and throwing these seahorses back in the water one at a time. And an older man coming by and saying, son, you know, it really is not going to make that much of a difference. You're really not making that much of a difference in the, in the scheme of things. And he looks up innocently and says, well, it makes a difference to that one that he just threw in the water. And that's what we had. Sometimes we get so clouded by the bigger by the bigger picture, that we lose sight, that we're talking about human beings, we're talking about people, we're talking about God-loving, God-fearing people, and we're talking about the most innocent of the innocent, and that's the children. So with me, 
Luke, go ahead and introduce Apphia, if you don't mind, and then uh, let's have a conversation. Let's have the yeah, story told. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we've uh, we were introduced to this case about a year ago. We had some people reach out to us. Um, you know, it's it's one of the lanes that we work in, and it has been you know our pleasure uh, to to get to know Afia and just listen to her story. And you know, we we care about her, and we care about the kids, and we care about the truth, and we want we want to see justice served and her united with her kids. So. Um, Afila, if you want to come in and introduce yourself real quick and, and just go where you want it, and I'm sure we'll have tons of questions for you. Okay, sounds good. Thank you so much, Doug, and thank you, Luke. I'm just I'm thankful for this opportunity to speak. Um, and, and Afia, I apologize for slaughtering. Even though I was tutored before the show, I slaughtered the pronunciation of your name, Afia. Thank you. Yeah, for putting up with me. Good. And and thank you for being brave. Folks, you have no idea how much uh, how brave this woman is to come out and tell her story. Go ahead, ma'am. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> thank you. Right. So I'm just going to give you kind of as short as possible because there is, like you said, so much to this story. It's been going on for a couple of years now and it's heavy. Um, but to get right down to it, it's a type of child sex trafficking that people aren't really aware of. Um, it's the state sanctioned child sex trafficking. And you'll have to forgive me while I'm talking to you guys. Um, I, I have notes because this topic is obviously so emotional for me. So it helps me stay on track. So if I'm looking down, that's why. Um, so Basically, right. I do that all the time. So you're, okay, you're great. right at home. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. So, so basically, um, you know, that's happened. You know, the government came out um, and helped um, in a nutshell. Um, my husband, I'm not sure if he's still legally my husband. Um, Jesse Sr. is what I'm, his name's Jesse Noel. We'll call him Jesse Sr. for this story. Um, basically helped him um, essentially kidnap my children. Um, I've, we've only had eyes on one of them, my oldest, Jesse, who was nine at the time, Jesse Jr. One time um, in 19 months since they've been missing. Um, and my one-year-old, <clears throat> Asher, no one has seen and we have no reports on how he's doing. So I'm just going to back up from there um, and just give you a little bit about myself and uh, um, Jesse Sr., um, who was my husband and his whole family and how this whole thing began. Keep in mind, I grew up, you know, in a Christian home thinking, I love this country. Um, I love this place. Um, and thinking that things were just thinking that, you know, the police, people like that were, are there to help you. So that's the mindset that I'm in as I'm going through this story and going through what I experienced and slowly seeing that that isn't true. If, is really okay. And if I can interject something here, I've, I've got a document in front of me. It's, uh, um, it's, uh, it's a letter to all Americans and, and, um, 
I'll just read the, the first three sentences here. If someone tried to kidnap you or your children, you could physically stop or shoot them. If someone tried to traffic you or your children, you could forcefully try to prevent it. In America, if someone was physically, emotionally, or sexually abusing you or your children, you are supposed to be allowed to defend yourself. One way we used to protect ourselves, and this is what I think you were referring to, was to go through legal channels. Sadly, in many parts of America, this is no longer a viable option. So what are we supposed to do as a parents or what are we supposed to do as parents and that that kind of summarizes your your situation um if uh, what you said earlier i think um does it not i mean because you, absolutely okay go go ahead sure. and again pardon my interruption that's totally fine feel feel free to um slowly my mind has changed by hearing other stories as well as my own experience that the law is used by the powerful, um, especially if you are in contact with the, the powerful and you're part of that world, but you are, um, the law is used in order to not implement justice at this point, but to come after those who aren't following the system or doing what you want them to do or saying what you want them to say or acting how you want them to act. And the more you stand out and the more you speak up, the more you are attacked and they will come after you. And that's a strong statement. But if you knew me prior to this, it's, um, it's unbelievable, but it's true. And it's happening at the highest level with Trump. It's happening. I'm here to tell you it is also happening at the lowest level, um, at the medium level, at every level throughout the justice system, down to the judges, down to the DA's down to the police departments, down to the investigators. They coordinate, they work together to, for a common goal. And that goal is no longer justice. That goal is to get you to do what they want you to do. And so, Doug, just to, I mean, you know, to, to bring out exactly, I mean, if you're putting yourself in these shoes, I mean, one, you're the victim, you're the one that starts the restraining order. And because powerful and connected people literally just flip the script on you, I mean, you know, personally, just imagining that, you know, you're reaching out for help. You've got your son reaching out for help. And just because they're connected, they're able to, to flip the script. And now all of a sudden, as a victim, you become the bad guy, even though, you know, you're the innocent. And, you know, just to just to imagine that, you know, this is America. I mean, we can go down the road because and we you know, we've got, you know, this in our first case, just where California literally there's just no way to say it. I mean, they're corrupt. I mean, even a couple of weeks ago, right? You've got the 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 the, um, the lawmaker there in California coming out and saying, if you have kids, you need to leave California. Um, yeah. They're not protected, and this is becoming the standard that the perpetrators are being protected, opposed to the innocent, especially when kids are involved here. You know, it's not about anybody. It's not about the judge. It's not about the cops. It's not about people. It's about the kids and protecting them. And the fact that you have a, a you know that you have children in many cases right coming out and, and saying what's going on and yet they're forced um, into the hands of the perpetrators. I mean it's really unbelievable. Um, and then you know down to the police officers. I mean they're just being manipulated from the top, right? I mean they're just following orders, they're following the citations or whatever else has gone on with the the judgments made. Um, and you know, to have somebody that's actually really going to look into it and has got a pair to actually try to do what's right. 
um, it's sad that it's becoming less and less. And I mean, we've got, you know, two states involved in this deal. People have completely dropped the ball, either willingly or just completely just oblivious to what's going on. And they're being manipulated by people, powerful people. And uh, I mean, it's sad. I mean, my heart breaks for her and her story and her kids. Um, and man, thanks again for having us on. And I hate to jump in there, but I no, mean, it's I'm just, glad you did because it's I, just I think such that, a righteous, yeah. you know, just a, such a righteous yeah, anger that comes up to think that this is going on in America with our 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 legal system because the justice system just isn't there anymore. And obviously, not everybody in the system is corrupt or evil. I, in my experience, some people they're just following orders. I mean, it takes somebody who's has strong convictions and spirit filled really to just come up against this type of evil, not speaking up is evil is what I've realized, you know, not not speaking and not taking action when you see an injustice. And I'm not talking these big things that everybody blogs about on the internet. I'm talking in smaller situations, you know, the woman who lives across the street from you that, you know, um, is being abused, her and her children. Um, are you helping that person? Are you doing things in your own backyard? Are you turning a blind eye? A lot of people are doing that right now. And that's why we're in this situation where they're, it's multi-pronged, where they're attacking our kids on every level. So they're attacking them legally, which is what happened in my situation. They're obviously attacking them in schools and the whole LGBTQ plus. I mean, we don't even get into that, but, um, and they're also being attacked with, just the sex slavery, um, the sound of freedom brings that up. Um, but is it okay if I give you a little recap of the entire story? Okay. So I actually grew up in the Hollywood area. Um, my father, um, was in the film business, my family, um, Jesse senior, um, also grew up in a Hollywood family. His father has two Academy Awards. There are scientific achievement awards for developing and using very expensive equipment, but Marvel, DC, pretty much every big action movie uses. So they have a lot of clout. Um, so I um, grew up as, as a dancer. I was a professional dancer. <laughs> Never thought my life would take a turn like this. I was just a hard worker. Um, professional dancer. Um, my, um, father got really sick when I was around eight. And so he passed away when I was the oldest. I have two younger sisters that sort of changed the whole dynamic for our family. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, but there were a lot of challenges after that. My mother was just never the same. So I kind of, um, took the reins there. Um, I ended up becoming a professional dancer. I danced with several ballet companies here in the United States and, um, did a lot. Um, but I was, I was very lonely when I met Jesse senior. Um, it, uh, it was really great. I thought in the beginning, and I want to bring awareness, especially to people who grew up in church to there's a certain point, um, and a certain type of abuse, um, that we're not maybe taught about, you know, that it's, I, I really just thought like, you know, if somebody punched you in the face and you had a black eye, that was abuse. I never thought about like having bruises that were covered up or 
someone giving you death threats or saying things to you that made you so horrified um, for your life. Um, but you're just taught, like, will you just stay with your husband? And I'm not saying everyone's like that. I'm just saying for me, um, I should have left a lot sooner. And I wish this was more spoken. People were speaking about this more. Women were speaking about this more because I've met so many women that have just walked up to me and told me their story now because I've been open about mine and there it's just going on far too much. Um, in 2016, uh, um, Jesse senior, um, got offered a position as, um, the special effects coordinator for Marvel's black Panther. So we actually ended up moving to Atlanta. Um, my son, Jesse jr. Was five at the time. So that was an interesting time. It was very stressful. The, the movie was very demanding. Um, at that, <clears throat> during that same year um, is when Jesse Sr. became abusive. Um, really just in every way, uh, physically, sexually, but it was, um, he started drinking. There were just a whole, and there's a whole uh, past of his as far as abuse going on in his family that I was completely oblivious to until later on um, with his own mother even and his babysitter who had sexually abused him, things that I didn't even know about, even though I was with him for years and years and years. So I think the turning point after we had our first son, something was really triggered in him. Um, <clears throat> So I kind of look to him also, and this is another danger I'd like to warn women about, you know, I kind of look to him as my hero. So when you have that in your head with somebody, it's very difficult to switch your mind to thinking like the person that you trusted, the person that's your hero is slowly breaking you down, slowly degrading you. You just have a hard time thinking that it's purposeful. Um, but that's... a that's the way that this type of abuse works. It almost uh, sounds like a Stockholm syndrome in, in, it a, in is. a sense. Even yes. Even when um, in the beginning, I couldn't even tell the police everything. Um, I, I just had so many conflicting thoughts and that's exactly what it is. When you're with somebody for that long, um, <clears throat> they sexually hurt you, abuse you against your will. And then they, cuddle you in bed and tell you that they love you those are very mixed messages and meanwhile as you said you're in you go to you're, you're a member of a church you go to a pastor perhaps for help and they say stay with your husband exactly i had somebody say give it five years give it five years okay wow at, at that point if i had given it five years um <clears throat> i am convinced i would not be around okay all right yeah. All right. For, so, uh, uh, folks, I, I just wanted to, uh, to take a break here just a second here. Um, folks, you're listening to the Hagman Report. You're watching the Hagman Report as well on Rumble and Brideon with me is Luke from ShatterOps.org as well as Afia. And uh, she has chronicled her situation, story situations chronicled in Psalm91Protection.com, linked at HagmanPI.com. Go ahead, ma'am. Sure. Yeah. So really, I want to. Aside from what happened for me, the story, um, you know, there's a lot of cl conflicts um, that happened there. 
but the story is really about my son, um, his voice being completely squashed by almost everyone. You know, I grew up the, that Bible verse in my head, you know, the truth and the truth will set you free. And that's something I really imparted to my older son. He's a very brave kid, very, very brave kid. You'll see as this moves along, um, in the fall of 2020, he started having absence seizures, which are just, um, if, if you're familiar with those, um, they can be caused by abuse. Um, and I did not know that in the beginning, but they're just moments of like two to 10 sec seconds where, where you'll look up and just lose track of time. You don't remember anything. This was very odd behavior for him. He's a smart kid. He's very well-spoken, um, basically an only child because there's eight years between my kids. Um, so um, 2020 was also the year I gave birth to my baby, Asher. Um, Asher means happy. He, it was just like one of the best in addition to my other son. I just was not ex expecting it. He's, they're just beautiful. Um, around that same time um, of 2020, Jesse Sr. started, the alcohol started getting just really bad to where he would drink an entire bottle of Jack Daniels. Um, just this behavior that had been building up for years and years just became exponentially worse. And I saw what really gave me the bravery to do something was just, I saw how it was affecting my older son. Um, and I wasn't sure exactly what was going on. Um, there were a lot of comments he started to make. So there's many other ways to coerce and terrify. Um, when you know someone is bigger and stronger and more capable than you, there's, and you know that person's dangerous, there's not much that they need to do to convince you that you need to do exactly as they say. So a lot of these tactics were, we were building a home in Pasadena and we had a, a really large lot and frequently, frequently he would say to me, you know, that, that's a big yard. I could bury you in that yard. And this and is no, your husband saying that. Yes. Okay. I could bury you in that yard and no one would find you. We also had one of the rare homes with a basement because in California, that's not common. He blocked off the exterior access to the basement during construction. The first day that we moved in, he welded together a ladder that went down to the basement. And he would frequently tell me, you know, if I put you in the basement, if I lock you in that basement, no one would find you. No one would know. And if you understand abuse, which I didn't at that time, that type of abuse, they're also strategically moving people out of your life that might help you or might safe, be safe for you. So you have a group of people, in my case, a lot of Hollywood people that were around us for the wrong reasons, um, for the, the supposed glamour of it all. And so these are the things he's telling me. It got so bad at one point he looked at me and he said, when there was some conflict, because I started to realize I really need to get out of this or my life is in danger. He said to me, I am the predator and you are the prey. If you ever leave me, I'll destroy you. And these were like common things that he would say um, that just got progressively worse and worse in order to control me um, around that same time. Um, and I'm just not knowing the conflicting feelings. I'm not knowing exactly how to handle this. Um, I start telling my younger sister, Tabitha, 
that I'm very, I'm just getting scared. I'm getting scared just talking about this. I was telling her I'm, I'm getting really scared. I'm getting really, really scared. That's all I could get out of my mouth. So I'm here to tell you, if someone tells you that they are really, really in fear of their spouse, listen up because sometimes you just can't get, you can't verbalize it. It's too horrifying. But if someone is scared, that's a major red flag. I was trying to reach, I was trying in, in any way that I could to just express, um, what I'm feeling. Um, my son, um, Oh, another thing I wanted to bring up as well was that one, actually this happened two times, but you know, a lot of weird behavior, you know, he's out till 11 o'clock at night. He leaves at 11 o'clock at night and then he'll come back at three in the morning. Then he's completely wasted. Somehow he, he manages to wake up at 5.00 AM and, and be on the set of a film for work. And this is just going on and on and on. Um, he'll take, he's just gone for three days at a time telling me he's, um, shooting a commercial or something like that. I never know when he's coming, when he's going, it's completely unpredictable. Um, I, I had a very successful business. Um, slowly he was kind of forcing me to get out of that. That's kind of a whole side story, but that's another mechanism that I've learned um, people like this use is just deplete you of your resources. Um, so at one point I had woken up. Um, this was close to the time where I filed for the restraining order. And I was preparing that without him knowing because I wasn't af afraid he would I was afraid of the worst if he found out. Um, and so I'm waking up in the morning. I look to him next to me on his phone. <laughs> he has, <clears throat> um, he's, you know, pleasuring himself and he's looking at um, a bunch of kids, nine or 10 year olds on his phone. I, I was shocked and I'm not allowed to say anything to him about critique him in any way, but out of my mouth just came like, Jesse, those, they are too young. I was just, I was um, obviously shocked. He just started. What, you, are you talking about like an internet from the internet, the photographs yeah, right on his phone? Right. It was to me, what it looked like was live. Um, and I, so it was later um, during that same time, which was just shortly before I filed for the restraining order. Um, so my son had another seizure test. And so I woke up early in the morning. We had to leave at 5 a.m. to be at the Children's Hospital Los Angeles. I, we, um, I grabbed what I thought was my laptop, which is a silver Apple laptop. It was actually his that I grabbed. Um, <clears throat> so while my, I'm at the hospital waiting for my son. He's having these tests done. And I realized it's his. And I just remembered, happened to remember his um, password from a long time ago. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to see if I can log into my online system with work and do some work. Um, so I'm sitting in the cafeteria at the hospital and I open my laptop to a house of horrors is the only way I can describe it. Um, there was like some kind of open um, chat room with really explicit things going on. Um, there was 
but the search history, his safari search history for me was the most disturbing. Um, there was, uh, oh man, a lot involving porn with um, teen. He was very specific about what he said, but the way these sites work, because I actually clicked on some, I, um, I think they're just like sort of live chats. So you're looking at things with teen, um, but they can really provide whatever you want. Um, there's, a, there was a lot of searches, um, with, um, you know, children having sex with their mothers. That was really strange. There's a lot of uh, searches on um, how to commit suicide. Um, with all the death threats that were going on with me, I started to realize like, these are, this is for me. Um, so he, he went so far as to purchase, there was a link that said how to use pool equipment as a noose. I'll never forget that. And he went so far as to buy that piece of pool equipment on Amazon. I went onto Amazon and went right onto his account. And there are the items that he read. This is getting very dangerous. Um, My word. And you discovered this by accidentally taking his laptop and say years, using his a password that was older. And then you're, you're at the hospital when you discover this or... Is that correct? I mean, yes, I'm at the hospital. Yep. Oh, wow. Okay. So, um, yep. So after I'm terrified to come home. In fact, I didn't come home till after like 10 o'clock that night. Um, and he was calling and calling and calling, freaking out when he realized that I had his laptop. Um, so the laptop's a whole, whole story. Um, I don't want to get into it beyond that, but I found out it was kind of like, um, God giving me this download because I had been excusing away these things. I'm seeing how my son is acting. Um, later, um, I had actually caught um, at my home. Um, uh, Jesse Sr. had come home again, very drunk from, you know, some movie set, some job. Um, I asked him, I'm like, please be quiet. I just put the kids to bed. He immediately runs down the hallway and I'm just like, oh, no. At this time, he was sleeping in my son's bed. With your son. With my son. Yeah. So um, uh, all of a sudden, I hear this like horrifying scream. So I'm like making spaghetti. I drop the spaghetti. I run down the hallway, and he, um, in in a similar way, fashion that he would do to me, he has his head underneath a pillow. Um, his entire body on top of him and um, he is just suffocating him. So I, I pull him off. I don't even know how I did that. He's just drunk. I pull him off. I, we run to the master bedroom. I lock the door. Nothing happened. He, he just stayed there and fell asleep. It was like a miracle. Um, at this point, I'm working consistently with an attorney because I'm thinking, okay, you know, I, I can't tell him obviously that we're going to split. That's very dangerous. So I'm just working to just get a separation. I wasn't even thinking like divorce. I was just thinking I need some kind of legal separation. I didn't know anything about that stuff. Um, my sister referred me to an attorney, a local attorney. Um, so I'm working towards getting the restraining order. Um, 
So a, a couple days before I actually received the restraining order, my brother-in-law, my brother-in-law and my sister Tabitha, Josh and Tabitha are their names. Um, they were out on vacation on a boat and I was calling them because I was terrified again because senior had gone away for three days to do a commercial and he said he was coming home and I begged them to come and stay at the house with me and just say we were doing a, a house vacation or something, but they couldn't because they were like a few hours away. Um, and so he, he's a fireman and has great intentions. He didn't understand the full scope of what was happening. He called the police. He asked the police to just go to the house and make sure that I was okay. Welfare check is what it's called. Journalist speaking. Okay, go ahead. Exactly. I was not expecting this because as they're on their boat, they lose the cell signal and then they're able, to, they're unable to contact me and tell me like, Hey, this is what we've done. So, Oof. I mean, it is what it is. Um, the police arrive. And, um, at that point I had stayed up that entire week because I was taking his cell phone and I figured out, I mean, I, I could go on for an hour about just what I found on his cell phone, but a lot more, um, things involving children. So, um, I'm just not sure what to say to the police. I know he's on his way home. I could get killed if he finds out about this. I know he'll be furious. I, I, so I'm trying to tell, again, I'm trying to tell somebody, I'm like trying to tell the police I'm, I'm furious. Um, I'm terrified. And, um, they did not, um, well, he ended up driving to the location, not telling me he was there and speaking to the police. Oh. And, yeah. And so I didn't know he was there. So they say, yeah, we're going to help you. We actually have a system. We can look these terms through our, our system and find out, you know, what all this means and what he's into. And I'm thinking, okay, great. Like maybe they'll protect me, you know? So I'm starting to feel a sense of relief. So they said, we're, we're going to go look into this and we'll be right back. They go call him. <laughs> Jeez. So he's like, like just beelining it to the house. Right. And he is ready to go with a full lie that I don't find out about till three months later, because the police had like refused to give us body cam and audio. What happened that day, which was a reoccurring thing. I was very difficult for me to get help with the police and, and not all of the Pasadena police department are bad. I, there were two officers that I really liked that I felt were good men, but most, most of them are just writing reports and they read the, the previous report and base the new one on the previous report. And so it just becomes this repetitive thing. So he, I didn't realize it, but he actually already had, I believe he already had a criminal defense attorney at that time. Because I found out later there was a another rape investigation. So with him as a potential suspect. Yes. All right. So um, he's outside telling this officer, you know, real calm and casual. You know, she's the love of my life. I just don't know what happened to her. Um, I'm not saying that she's crazy, but I'm just really concerned for her. I'm really concerned for her welfare. I think she has an undiagnosed mental illness. <laughs> and then there was a story in the Los Angeles Valley, you know, the Valley. I'm, I'm literally a Valley girl <laughs> from the Valley. Um, so he says, you heard about that woman in the Valley, right? 
And the officer's like, no. And then he continues on talking about um, postpartum depression and all this stuff, right? Like maybe your wife has postpartum depression. He doesn't even consider that maybe I'm telling the truth and maybe I'm in danger. So um, he says to the officer, hey, well, I just really want, you know, there is a woman in the, va in the valley, um, it was just reported, who, you know, had postpartum depression and she drowned her three children in the bathtub. So this is the, his first contact with the police. It's like this pre-planned, I didn't, prior to me going through this situation, I was never, you know, a lot of us have been like, boom, um, in contact with pure evil, with a lot of things that have transpired in the country. Um, but pure evil was sleeping next to me every day. Um, and I didn't even realize the extent of it. Um, that's how this slow manipulation and deception can work. Okay. So anyway, um, right. So he told them that's, that. So the police, instead of helping me, they bring in a mental health team. So there's four people. They back me up against a wall. And I'm thinking, wow, is this how they treat the real people that are struggling with mental health? Because this would be terrifying. But for me, all of a sudden, I'm getting angry and I'm backed up against the wall and they start questioning me. There's four of them. They start questioning me one at a time. They're saying, um, you know, all these different weird questions. And then randomly, they're like, are you suicidal? Do you want to commit suicide? And I'm like, I'm like, no, no, I'm not suicidal. Um, finally, I got angry. And I looked at the guy who I thought was the boss, who was on the right side of this whole row of people inter literally interrogating me. And I said, hey, have you ever in your life, in your career as a police officer, gone into a situation and seen a woman who realized that her husband is a completely different person than she thought he was? And he is a dangerous person. And she is shocked by his behavior. Has this, have you ever come across a situation like this? And then he kind of like gets cowers down a little bit. He's like, well, yes, I have. And I said, okay, so in this situation right now, what do you think about me? And uh, he just kind of, the other officers are looking at him. He kind of thinks about it and he says, well, honestly, it's 50, 50. And I said, okay. <laughs> and then they just walk out of my house and that's it. And leave me there. Okay. Okay. All right. Wow. So you as, okay. So folks uh, understand this. Um, here you have Afia, who's the husband of Jesse, right? Yeah. Uh, Jesse, you have, you've got a son, Jesse Jr. Right. Uh, another child as well. You're in the Hollywood area. You are suffering from abuse death threats, subtle death threats, gaslighting, if you will. Um, and your son develops seizures, take him to the hospital. I'm just recapping this. Um, the laptops got switched. You, found, you had your husband's laptop, found all of this dark, horrible, absolutely unspeakable evil on, on this laptop. And uh, in, I mean, trying to get out of this, and of course, Everywhere you're turning, it's either a cluster, you know what, or people um, like your brother-in-law, for example, um, innocently does the wrong thing and creates this avalanche of 
or this domino effect of bad things where you are being made to, to look like the abuser or the crazy person as opposed to the victim of abuse. Do I have it so far? Exactly. Right. That's exactly it, Doug. Yeah, thank you for recapping. Okay. So um, as things progress, so I am granted a restraining order, um, which was such a huge relief. I thought, okay, this is going to be the beginning of a new start. We're going to be protected. I was told by m- countless attorneys that with the evidence that I had, I should be granted the five-year restraining order, which is the, the permanent one in California, that it shouldn't be a problem. I put my son in therapy. Um, my, um, my son kept asking me for kind of a couple of weeks after that, is daddy coming home? Is daddy coming home? He, he was also terrified of his father. Um, and I just reassured him. I'm like, no, we're going to be safe. Everything's going to be fine. Um, so interestingly enough, um, they extend the hearing. Well, backing up before that, um, as soon as I file, file the restraining order and he receives it, my life gets 10 times worse. All my credit cards are hacked into Um, my banking is hacked into, um, there were two dead birds, um, left, um, in the back of my, uh, master bedroom, French doors. Um, these birds were, um, how do I describe it? Perfectly intact, almost like taxidermy. Um, and my neighbor who offered to clean them up for me were like, looks like these birds have been suffocated, which to me was horrifying because of seeing him suffocate my son as well as he enjoyed doing that with me. Um, There was also like this little string in between the birds connecting them. I found uh, skinned animals, just all kinds of horrifying things. I kept reporting it, but because the previous report, they called me 918, which... um, I guess is, you know, code for crazy person, (laughs) even though I had been evaluated by their own team who did not take me away. So, but they just kept reading those reports. So as I'm calling the police, they're just basically reporting the same thing. Like, oh yeah, this uh, person now is, you know, oh, she's calling again. I was told by Bren Chassie, my son's therapist, not even my own attorney said this. She's like, you need to keep reporting it no matter what they say. You just need to keep reporting it. And she kept saying, why aren't they making an arrest? During that time, I had two employees of mine because I was I'm in construction. I was in construction who were working on my house, um, seeing him drive by, which is a breach of the restraining order. Uh, It's supposed to be an automatic arrest in California. I have two actually really good police officers that I could tell were sympathetic. They reported that he violated this restraining order. They still don't arrest him. Keep in mind, at that time, I know nothing about the law, so I don't know the protocol. I don't know. Would you would you attribute that to his connections, perhaps in Hollywood, or this is what I did not know at the time? Okay, he hired Robin Sachs, who is a celebrity criminal defense attorney. So yes, absolutely. Even just the fact of doing that, not only that, he spent almost six hundred thousand dollars on attorneys' fees in the first year. He has the backup of his family. And I don't know if I was clear with you about this, but 
you know, my family, aside from my sister's pretty much gone. So he had all of this support financially with his brothers, his family. Um, and, and the, the, the way the whole money thing went down is, is he was hiding a lot of things, um, hiding a lot of money. And so he has all this backup that I don't know about. Um, and all these things happening in the background way prior to me filing for the restraining order. Um, so he's got deep pockets. He's got endless resources. He's got connections and, uh, you don't. And, and, exactly. Okay. And, and and he was he was. It sounds to me like he was prepping for something like this, or or yeah. worse, but something like this. So okay, go ahead. Exactly. So um, finally, we get. To the, so really, we shouldn't even have gotten to. It should have been. We on the, the on August sixth, twenty twenty one was the restraining order hearing. A lot of significant thing ha- things happened that day, and that this is when I would start to believe that wow, it's not just the police department, it's the judge um, that's in on this. For, I, I'm not sure how to phrase that, but they were coordinating things together. So um, I show up at the hearing, my attorney, who I still trust at that time, um, he, um, he actually has a long conversation with Aaron Gray, Jesse Sr.'s attorney, comes back up to me and says, Hey, you know, we all think it's a better idea if we switch to this judge. And I think that the judge that I was supposed to be working with was, well, his reviews that he's more of a just man. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I have no idea how, how it would have went, you know, how it would have gone um, if we went that direction. I don't know. But I said, sure. I mean, if you think that's the right thing. I didn't know the law was in California that you only get one get out of judge free card. <laughs> So, so I was giving that up on the first day. That's what my attorney advised me to do. So my attorney also said to me, well, multiple times, well, you're not the one with the money. So I was just so traumatized and all I, all I wanted to do was just get protection. I just wasn't even, if, if I were in that position now, it'd be different now that I've healed a lot from a lot of those things, but you are you are at the mercy of whoever's around you when you just pull yourself out of that. You cannot defend yourself. You cannot think clearly. All, you can, all I could think of was protecting Jesse and Asher, protect my boys, protect my boys, right. whatever it takes. But I'm just depending on these people. In fact, um, my attorney advised me, um, we had like a 1600 square foot garage full of his equipment along with three containers. My attorney advised me to to take pictures of all the equipment so I can itemize it for the money to, you know, it's all about the money for the attorneys. I ended up finding explosives. Um, Jesse senior is a one card with has a one card with the ATF, which is the high, he has a license to manufacture explosives for the film business. They were kept illegally in a garage that my sons could have gotten into. I found out later that he applied to key and this is in the city there's so I tell my attorney about this. He speaks to Jesse senior's attorney and, um, Aaron gray. Then he comes back to me and says, you know, I don't think it's a good idea to report this to the ATF because then Jesse senior might not be able to pay you child support. And at that time in the beginning, I'm trusting the system. I'm trusting these people that are supposed to help me. And I said, okay, Luckily, I took plenty of video and things like that. 
but this, I also found empty bottles of Jack Daniels. I found all these things that were just, just huge red flags. I never went, that was kind of his area. I never went to that area. So anyway, fast forward to the August 6th hearing. Uh, let me check my, Judge Powell orders a woman named Dr. Diane Kelly to interview my son. Okay. So this, her testimony was first and it was honestly heartbreaking. I just was, it was very difficult because she testified things that he told her that he hadn't told me. Um, a couple of things were, oh man, I, out of respect for him, I'm not going to go too deep into it, but I'll tell you a couple of things. Um, one is daddy takes me to places that you don't know about um, or, or that my mom doesn't know about um, right. with people that I'm scared of and uncomfortable with. He said that when um, he, whenever um, he was um, naked, like getting out of the bathtub, his dad would you know, grab him by the arm and drag him around the floor. I had seen bruises on his hips. He's, he said that his father, um, had suffocated him. He, um, said that he kind of confirmed his side of the story. He said that, um, the only time that, um, daddy stops, with a pillow over my head and putting his full force body weight on me is when he's looking at his phone. Um, so that's when he might stop. So those were just a few of the things, um, among others. So just with that testimony alone, I'm told we should have gotten the full restraining order, right. uh, but, but we did not. So, Oh man. So this not only did, I not get the restraining order. The judge says that basically because he missed out on time, he gets to have him for four days a week now. <laughs> so I stood up and I was like, my attorneys didn't say anything. Nobody said anything. And I said, Hey, with all of these things that you've just heard, Dr. Diane's Kelly's testimony and the drinking, and not to mention, I testified to what I had seen on his laptop. Um, wouldn't it be better if we got him some help for some of these things before we do this? He said, no. So we actually, um, uh, go to the first, um, custody exchange, right? So it's at the Pasadena police department during COVID they lock their doors at five o'clock. No one can go in the police station. The downtown area is empty. Um, Jesse senior and his brother are there waiting for me. It's very intimidating. My son does not want to go with him. And so I said, okay, I'm going to get a police officer. I was very nervous. I'm holding Asher. I have Jesse junior with my hand. I knock on the door of the police trying to get some help. Jesse senior is looking at me like he's going to kill me. Um, finally, like 10 minutes later, an officer comes down. Then Jesse senior says officer, um, can you please make sure your body cam is turned on? Which is really funny. Um, okay. So then all of a sudden, um, my son starts speaking out about everything that his dad did to him. He says his, 
you know, my daddy hurts me. He's, he's given me bruises. He's bruised my eyes a couple of times. He's touched my penis. Just, and then it was just became something completely different. Long story short, I was able to take the kids home, which was a huge, huge relief. And I thought, okay, maybe they're helping me. Little did I know at that day, they filed a report against me. Like I was the criminal for not following the judge's orders. Then we go back to court um, because he's still trying to get the kids. Um, The judge tells me when we go back to court that day that just in a nutshell, if I do not forcefully hand over my children that very day within three hours at the police station to their father, Jesse Sr., that he will put me in jail, which until the custody hearing, which was about three months away. Keep in mind, like, this is just mind boggling to me because I've never been there's arrested, nothing right. like that in my life. And he said, uh, let me, if just so people have an understanding of the scope of this, if you don't mind, on your website, Psalm91protection.com, let me go to exhibit 15B. This is uh, a drawing by your son. Um, uh, right. Okay, now, now, folks who are listening on the radio, go to HagmanPI.com and, and uh, uh, check this drawing out. Um, or go directly to Psalm91Protection.com and uh, um, look at all of the exhibits. But, okay, so th- th- the reason I brought this up is I've seen this, Luke has seen this, like these drawings like this before from victims, child victims. And I've got to tell you, okay, that should have rang every flipping alarm bell of everyone involved in this. Just that that photo, that photograph alone should have done that, but uh, or the drawing alone should have done that. Um, so thank you for allowing me to show that, and thank you for putting that in the or having that available for us. But in spite of all that, continue, please. Go ahead. Wow, I mean, sure. this is mind blowing. It is. My, my son was actually a really gifted artist, and I found a whole series of drawings that he had hidden in his closet right before I filed for the restraining order that were absolutely horrifying. Horrifying. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, so it was, it was intense, and the judge saw all of that. That was part of our discovery. So he's hearing from his own appointed psychiatrist, Dr. Diane Kelly. He's seeing the drawings. She, she was appointed to speak for my son directly. My son called me his protector. That was his name for me in the hearing. He said he's terrified of his father. He said his father takes him to places to see people that his mom doesn't know about. And he's scared of, and he's uncomfortable. And he's involved in this, in Hollywood and all this entire scene of people. And I've watched him look at children, caught him looking at child pedophilia. I want to ask you something at this point, because I know I'm going to be getting questions about this myself. Um, and by the way, uh, Luke, if, if you can hang hang tight uh, in the FIA, thank you again for your time. Uh, we're going to extend this broadcast uh, for another 30 minutes because your story is so important. And I don't want the cadence to be broken. I certainly don't. 
Um, but but this is so important, the information get out there, because many women uh, mothers may be in the same position you have been, you are, and um, we need to help them. So that's why this is so important. But did the police ever take his computer and, and look at it uh, or phone at any time and look at the search history or anything? Or, or I never even asked him for it. Not even that first, that first contact. Not even nor, the first one. No, okay. nor the second or the third. In fact, seven months were to pass by before anybody did any kind of interview or investigation of my son. It was seven or eight months. And the only reason they did it is because we actually ended up having, after just a long story short, the, the, the judge forced me. He said, I will put you in jail if you don't hand over your children. Um, so I did that. Um, my- to a predator. I mean, yes. with an open an open child sexual abuse case. So he forces me knowingly that there's an open case that hasn't closed and hasn't even been investigated. Yeah. Folks, um, the website, uh, again, shatterops.org for Luke, Psalm91protection.com. That's where you're going to find all of the, the entire story here. Um, I, I give Afia so much credit. Uh, my heart just goes out to her. I'm not going to take up any more of her time because we're imposing upon it now, but I did want to extend this to give her some additional time because I know there are victims out there listening to this. Please listen to what she is saying and please, please act while you still can. And uh, and I thank God that Afia is with us, still with us, because by the sounds of it and by what I know, and I know by what Luke knows, um, that, that, that may not have, I mean, you're here by the grace of God. Go ahead. Did you want me to continue? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't 100% sure. Thanks, Doug. I really appreciate that. And yes, there are three other cases. And keep in mind, um, being in the situation that I am right now, um, they, which I'll get to, um, I'm very secluded. I have to be because of the types and nature of people that want to get a hold of me. Um, so it's, yeah, I'm just thankful. And I, and I've been brought, my attention has been brought to three other cases, um, of people that are going to through very similar things. And my attention was brought to a case from a woman who's actually a missionary who helped. This has been going on at least 20 years back, the state sanction of child trafficking, you know, using the law to traffic children back to the more powerful party to the more affluent party um, to the party that sides with the, the dominant thinking and culture right now, which is very evil. Um, so basically, um, so I was forced three times to hand over my children, my boys, Jesse and Asher to Jesse senior, <clears throat> who stayed with their parents who are in in their own right, very abusive and 
you can imagine what somebody who is capable of such horrific things like Jesse Sr., the type of people that raised him. Um, I found out from my son that Asher was diaper was never changed. They fed him on the floor next to the dog. He was dirty, covered in pee, had a rash. His stomach was descended and he had um, just bruises all over his legs. Like somebody had with fingerprints, like somebody had squeezed him. Um, Jesse Jr. was crying and begging me saying, you cannot make me go back there. You cannot make me go back. At this point, I need to make a decision. Um, do I follow man's law or do I follow God's law? And I knew I needed to get them away at all costs. I was not going to let this continue. And a friend of mine, Jessica Rodriguez, out in Georgia, I had met her when we flew out to film Black Panther. I had no idea she was going to have such a significant part of my life, um, just be a part of such a um, significant event in my life. But she said, just come out here. Just come out here. She cleared out the top floor of her house. She said, it's all yours. Um, and uh, I was supposed to return him, <clears throat> return the boys. Instead, I mean, it was a series of miraculous events um, that got me out of the state and f into Georgia. Um, there was even an Amber Alert that they put out. <laughs> so every time I see an Amber Alert now, I pray that justice will be done, not that they will find the kidnapper because they put out Amber Alerts now for women who are trying to protect their children from domestic violence. So a lot of those Amber Alerts aren't really what they seem. Um, and if, so, I can, if I can just interject this, yeah. it's it's no coincidence, folks. And, and Luke, I know you know this. If Hopefully you're still with me. I'm not sure. Um, I know that the uh, Laura Silsby changed her name. Laura Silsby from Haiti, the um, Clinton Foundation, taking 33 children, 31, 33 children across uh, from out of Haiti that weren't hers, that were not orphans, that she said were orphans um, after the Haitian earthquake. And uh, anyway, she, she uh, instead of being charged with kidnapping, they were going to charge her. The State Department got involved. Hillary Clinton got involved. And the bottom line was uh, she ended up changing her surname and is now working for part of a part of the Amber Alert service. Isn't that interesting? I had to put that in there for context. Wow. So go ahead, continue. Wow, I had no idea, but wow. Yes. Right, so I, I look at the entire system in a new light and I pray for justice because you don't know what's going on. You don't know that the, the picture that they painted of me uh was completely fabricated in fact it wasn't it wasn't really fabricated because it was jesse senior but they said it was me <laughs> so they weren't very creative just everything that that was true that i was afraid of that i spoke out above about eventually they just turned that towards me even though forget the parents aside the children are the witnesses the children the children will tell you i am afraid of the, this person i'm afraid of my life and if a 10 year old tells you that you need to listen, you know, and 
even the police, despite what the story they thought between two parents, which can get ugly. When a child tells you these things, when a child tells you, I'm terrified, I'm taken to places I don't want to go. My daddy touches me. Um, My daddy drags me across the floor. When he went and he's telling multiple people this, he's he's telling Dr. Diane Kelly, he told his teachers at his school, St. Elizabeth Parish School. I'm terrified of my daddy. Do I have to go home with my daddy? They also failed to file a report. Um, The principal told and I was and I knew the teachers really well. They knew something was going on. They're supposed to report that to the archdiocese. She never did. She said um, something like, I think that you guys, you're just getting a little bit too close to the situation is what I'd heard that she said. So there's people that just turning a blind eye left and right that could have really helped. And so now, okay, now, but but you're in Georgia now, right? Uh, I mean, you left Hollywood. I fled to Georgia. I fled to Georgia. Georgia. You're a fugitive now, right? No. So at this point it was legal. Okay. Okay. Um, Because there's a law. Um, it's called the UCCJEA there. You can flee for domestic violence and it's legal. And because like the police weren't helping me, the judge wasn't helping me. I had overwhelming evidence. No one was helping me. It stood that it was reasonable for me to flee because I'm getting no help. My children are getting no help. And what that does is it's supposed to allow a different state to gather all the evidence, collect all the court documentation and make their, you're supposed to allow, be allowed to have the first hearing in order so that you can speak your case um, to the judge in hopes that you can get protection in that new state. The biggest mistake I made was coming back to Fayette County where um, Trillith Pinewood Studios is, where Marvel reigns, and I just came back to what I call Little Hollywood. So California and Fayette County, Georgia, um, they are in it together. It's little Hollywood and big Hollywood. So I came to a place that also, I believe, um, has a massive amount of control. So unknowingly, that's where you fled to, right? Unknowingly. Well, I mean, I knew it was here, but that was the only other place I could really think of. Okay, okay. Yeah, as far as like, having a support system because I knew people there from when we did Black Panther. So I just, I knew people, I knew good people, Christian people, spirit-fed people that friends of mine that I were like brave, braver than anybody in California and eager to help me and just like, just come out here. Um, They were incredible. My friend said to me, your people will, she said to me, come out here and my people will be your people. So she just said, you know, my family will be your family. My people will be your people. She didn't say you can stay with me for a while. She said you can stay with me forever. Wow. I mean, just the bravery that that takes. And not only that, my husband had gotten her husband a job in the film business. So their livelihood was at risk. They put everything at risk and they have five kids just to allow me to stay there. So that just goes to show there are some really brave people out there like me that just disregard, you know, we're not meant to count the costs when it comes to doing right or wrong. We're not meant to gauge our success when it comes to doing right and wrong. We're just meant to do what God do would do. You know, it's the fear of the Lord. I've, I've learned that through this process. You fear God before man. I'm scared to speak, but I'm... <laughs> 
I'm, I'm, my fear is in the Lord. So I just need to do what he asks of me. And if that means coming against these systems to help my kids, save my kids, rescue my kids out of the situation, I'm just letting him really guide me. Um, so, um, so we, we, you know, we're starting to feel a little bit better. My son over the next three months has less seizures when we're in Georgia, we're, I mean, it's still a little bit nuts. We're still, <clears throat> we're still, I don't know if I mentioned to you that I was, I was followed a lot in California by the same red truck. Then someone started following us in Georgia, um, within two days, um, the police, uh, the local Pe Peachtree city police department arrived at her home to do a welfare check. I did not know that California's investigator detective Tudich from the Pasadena police department was actually on the cell phone the entire time. Um, but to stay there legally, I needed to fill out a good cause form and I did. And I cited all of the abuse. I was there legally. Um, <clears throat> and supposedly, you know, the Petri city police department is supposed to open up an investigation or somebody in Georgia. Um, I begged them to time after time, after time, over time, I gave them, um, evidence. I gave them everything I could. Um, but they just kept telling me it's California's investigation. It's California's investigation. So on December 15th, 2021, a few days before Christmas, um, I was able to obtain um, an attorney in Georgia, local attorney, Judy Sartain. And we filed um, to get a, we filed paperwork. I'm not sure exactly what it's called, but basically I was granted a hearing, which was a huge win. Um, they did not give me a date, but I was granted a hearing to come, come and give my case before a judge in Georgia. And they could look at it and decide to protect us, basically. Um, what I did not know <clears throat> was the day after I did that, the next day, California filed a 99-page document to the Georgia courts, ignoring my document because I was the petitioner. So they obviously saw the document, most likely saw it, were looking, was looking for me to file some kind of paperwork here. They also filed as the petitioner. Everyone pretended that they didn't see that document, that they granted me the hearing. Um, they accused me of kidnapping. They put a warrant out for my arrest. Um, all the day after I was granted a hearing, even though I had been there for almost three months already. So I wasn't a kidnapper at that time, but all of a sudden when, when I'm trying to open up an investigation in another state, then the alarm bells go off for them. And still, still the detectives in Pasadena had not interviewed us or done any type of investigation. So these investigations are still all open. It was just mind boggling. So little did I know <clears throat> that, so that was a Wednesday, December 15th, um, Thursday, Friday, by Monday morning there, they had flown everyone from California out to Georgia to see judge Ballard in Georgia, in person, accusing me of being a kidnapper, accusing of me of being dangerous, um, all of these things, <clears throat> I have no idea this is going on. I'm thinking, oh gosh, if, if the, any judge sees my case, they'll let me stay here. And we have distance, the distance across the country made me feel really safe. The community, 
the support made us feel really safe. We were doing well. Um, but long story short, December, so December 20th, 2021, is the last day that I saw my children. So um, police came to my friend's home armed. I'm told California and Georgian police came. Um, there were seven children there. We, we actually went out. I never, I never separated from my kids, but it was five days, five days before Christmas. My friend Jessica and her husband, Alex and myself were going to go Christmas shopping. So we leave in a van and the police storm the house, take my children. <clears throat> um, they don't take my son's senior uh, seizure medication. They don't have any jackets. It's freezing. They bring him out onto the front lawn. I don't really know uh, too many of the details, but it was horrific. And I do know that almost all the kids are still having nightmares to this day from that day um, and the way they did it. And the funny thing is, the most ridiculous thing is, the police department could have called me and just said, hey, we're planning on investigating your case. Do you wanna come down to the station? And I would have, because I was begging them to do something. So that brute force and that horror was completely unnecessary. Um, just unbelievable. So five days before Christmas 2021, you, the police department in, in Georgia, working in conjunction with the police department in California, in conjunction with the legal system, not justice, but legal system, took your children from you, despite the allegations proof if I can use that word, um, based on the exhibits, based on the documents, based on these, uh, everything you submitted to the court system of abuse by Jesse, your, your husband, ex-husband, husband. Um, and to this day, you're working to get them back, right? Yes. Yes. And I will never stop. And I was so horrified in the beginning. Um, I, I could not speak. I couldn't even speak about it, but something just rose up in me. Um, I knew that the only chance that I had is not through the legal system. I thought so many times, like if I just, turn myself in, even if they send me to jail, eventually I'll get out and maybe I can see my kids. But I don't know that I would make it through jail with these people. I don't know that if I turn myself in, that I will be safe. Are, are you right now under any threat, under any duress? Has anyone uh, threatened you? Do you feel uh, under threat at, at the moment? Not feel, but I mean, have you been threatened? followed, harassed? Oh, well, <clears throat> no one knows where I am right now. <laughs> that's a good so thing. That's, that's the, the protection of God, right? And God, he used a network 
of God's people to protect me. They're still protecting me. There are brave people out there, um, but it's definitely a scary situation. Um, my friend, Jessica, they have threatened her um, multiple times. I've heard, I, I can't even speak to her uh, because it's just too dangerous. Um, but people who are like two tier and even three tier away from me, I had a whole group of uh, church members um, who wrote letters. People from different churches were coming together and having meetings on my behalf. They wrote letters to the Peachtree City Police Department. Um, and keep in mind, Peachtree City Police Department was forced to do an investigation once they found me here. Um, I took my son to Southern Crescent Sexual Assault Center here in Georgia. And my son, again, bravely, and I didn't find this out till recently, but he bravely told another stranger everything that happened to him. So, and then there was a two-way glass in the detective from Peachtree City. Peachtree City Police Department was there listening. And just days after that, they cooperate with California to brutally take the children away from me. So, I mean, it just gets worse and worse. Um, and when I asked yeah. for a copy of the report, when I requested a copy from, of the report from the assault center, uh, they said, you need to call the police department. And I said, okay, I call the police department. It's California's investigation. I went down to this tiny police department, freezing around Christmas time, to get a copy of this report because I thought, well, at least if I need to go home, I can have more proof in hand. I had no idea what my son said because I don't, he hates talking about this stuff unless, unless he wants to talk about something. I just don't ask him any questions. I don't have the heart. So I'm waiting at the police station, this tiny empty police station for three hours, um, asking them to speak to one of the three investigators. They're all in a meeting. I'm the only person in the police station, okay? Days of four Christians, they're all in a meeting for three hours. I then get into my friend's van. I'm waiting outside the police station for another hour just to see if anybody walks out of the police station. I then go back again because had, I've had several domestic violence advocates that have been amazing and really helped me. And they said, you need to file it under the Freedom of Information Act. I go again. I fill out the form. I file um, the request under the Freedom of Information Act nothing so yeah it, it's okay wow um now have you when's the last time you have spoken to your children spoken verbally when i said you know mommy's um mommy's gonna go out and do some christmas shopping that that was i love you i told him i loved him I said, mommy's going to go do some Christmas shopping. I'm not going to be, because they didn't like it when I left. And I said, I said, I'm not going to be gone for very long. Do you know where your children are right now with any degree of certainty? Um, I do believe um, that they are with my in-laws. <clears throat> um, and I believe Jesse Sr. is living there with them um, at their house which is in Ventura County, California. So if anybody has any resources in Ventura County, let us know. Um, but I have not had eyes on my children. And I really want people to know that 
this, <clears throat> there, there are actually some people that could speak out right now to reopen an investigation, um, but they are too scared to. So there's, there's people that are still, you know, do, do you want to name them or, or by, by either by name or occupation? Yeah. I, I don't want to force you it. Believe me. I'm yeah, just... yeah. Well, I would rather not. Okay. All right. We'll know who they are. Um, they, know. Are, they know. Yeah. Okay. I, and, and I want to say this, um, Luke, but they're scared. They're scared. They're, they're afraid. What are they afraid of? Who are they afraid of? They are afraid of the entire, entire legal system. Um, the Noel family coming after them, just like they came after me. Okay. That's um, sometimes you have to folks. Sometimes you have to ask questions and you already know the answers to. Okay. Now, um, Luke, um, your your involvement in this um, shatterops.org, this platform, and, and I want to just give a message out while I can. Afia, uh, I have gone through, I, I'm pretty sure every document that, that exists, on, and, and I'm going to tell you what, that woman is not only truthful, uh, but she's a God-fearing woman, and I believe her, her threshold, thre, threshold of truth uh, is on her side. Uh, this is not a he said, she said. This is uh, an abusive situation to children who should not endure such abuse. This is mis, misguided power. This is a system that is not just broken, but intentionally designed to go after the victims. Afia is a victim. The children are victims. And I'm going to give this message out right now and then turn this over to Luke for his comments. And then uh, Afia can have the final comments. If there is one hair on the head of those children, one hair on the head of Afia that is messed with, there will not be a rock big enough for you to hide on, uh, under. There will not be a city big enough for you to hide in. There will not be a planet that you can go to that we will not come after you. And, and to those people who can help and haven't helped, step it up. And those people who are responsible for, for this, we're coming after you. We are coming after you on behalf of this victim, on behalf of her children and the victims. This happens every day in this country and it's about to stop, at least for this woman, end this nightmare. Luke, before I regret saying anything more, go ahead and take it. Uh... <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that's the way we feel, you know, we're trying to help in any way that we can. We're terribly disappointed that the folks down in Georgia haven't stepped up when they had the opportunity to. Um, we want to get this word out. We're going to try to push the issues. Um, you know, we we want to do everything that we can by the law, right? We're the, we're the law-abiding people trying to do things correctly, um, but we have a mandate by God to uh, do what is right and righteous, and uh, that's what we plan on doing. So, we are trying to uh, help out in any way we can. Um, you know, like I said before, we have done some investigative work. Um, it's not just a he said, she said. It is something that's fact that has happened and that is going on 
and um, it needs to come. I, to I, I know, I know your work, and it's impeccable. Believe me, um, and I've seen the documentation from you. Okay, so, and I thank you for that, Afia. We've got about two minutes. I'm going to give you the last two minutes. I'm going to shut up and whatever you want to say, please. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Doug. And thank you, Luke and your organization, everything that you've done to, to fight for people like myself and just a platform because I, it's hard. It's so hard to get this information down, especially when um, news articles are easily taken down these days. And so the, information disappears and i just really appreciate this and a couple things are really strong on my heart right now the main one is um obviously my children um but all the other kids the three moms that i know that are going through the same thing so far and i'm sure there's thousands more because these judges are ruling in the same way to destroy our families to destroy our children um and we each have a personal responsibility it, and it's, it's not, you know, going online anonymously to bash things. It's in your own life. You need to look around. You need to be aware of the evil in this world, recognize it and do something in your own life. God will use you if you just open your eyes and you don't need to ask him too much. If you see an injustice, even if a small one, just, do something about it. It's just at your own job, at your own level. All of If all of us were doing that, we wouldn't be in the situation that we're in right now with this country. Um, I, I know that I came to this realization through this process and the Lord is so close to me. And I know my time here is so short. All of ours is so short. Amen. It's, it's too short for us not to just be accountable to him and only him. And the other thing I want to say is just to my boys, I don't know if they'd ever see this, but I want them to know that I, it's been 19 months and I'm still fighting for them and I will fight for them for the rest of my life. If I have to, that's my job as a mother and anyone else God allows me to help um, in my life, any other children. I, I just will never, that's our number one passion in life is our children. And I just want these people to know that you don't give up and that God is on our side. Afia, thank you so very much for telling your story. You're very brave and uh, God bless you. And we will be in touch. Luke, we will be in touch. We're out thank of time. Don't. All right. Thank you both.